This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by our friends at Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handcrafted symbols, effects, gongs, all kinds of cool stuff. Definitely check them out. Give them a follow on Facebook, uh, like them on Instagram and Twitter. And also, later in the show, we have a special announcement from Dream. They're going to be jumping in on our 100th episode contest, so listen in for details. What is up, everyone? Mike Johnson here from Mike'sLessons.com, and this is the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. It is episode 98, and Mike and myself are going to be getting into some serious stuff today. We're talking about how to use a metronome and mentally how to flip it from the downbeat to the E to the and and to the uh. Our featured artist this time is none other than Death Cap for Cuties, Jason McGurr. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out one seriously versatile snare, and that's the Doc Sweeney 6.5x14 Tribal Band Oak Snare. After that, we'll get to your listener questions, and we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Yes, we are a what? So... <laughs> Like, what do we start with? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. Now that there's no dogs, no weather, and no snap talk, it's like, well, we are friends. <laughs> How you doing, Mike? How was your morning? Did you have a good breakfast, bro? I, uh, yeah, I went full, full trendy California, and I had a piece of wheat toast with uh, smashed avocado on top, a couple layers of uh, fresh turkey, and then a nice little thing of egg whites on top. So, wow, that sounds I, like lunch. Yeah, I it was it was a late morning. I slept in a bit. Uh, Amber had to get up really early, so she. It's. I'm assuming when you're married for 12 years, this is considered a good thing. But when she's like, "Hey, I have to get up really early. If you want, you can just sleep in the spare bedroom." I'm like, "Oh no!" But in my head, I'm like, "Hell yes!" Uninterrupted sleep with no dogs, no wife kicking me. I'm like, okay, babe. And I just kind of you know saunter down the hallway. But then as soon as I shut the door and lock it, I'm like, yeah, party time. I'm alone. So uh, yeah, I slept in good today. Should I be saying all this? Probably not. I think you're in trouble now. I think the fact that my wife doesn't will never listen to this podcast, I think we're good to go. Uh, yeah, so everything's good. But yesterday I had a, an awesome morning. I got a call from... Meinl, uh, from Chris Brewer at Meinl, and we were talking, he said, hey, you know, we brought you into, you know how Meinl makes those videos for their artists, those really high quality videos yep. that bring them into a Nashville studio, and they said, hey, we, you know, we did that with you for the four-stage practice method a year ago, but it's all teaching, and he said, man, I'm a, I'm a big fan of your new band, would you like to come in and do that stuff with us, but possibly track, you know, do it with tracks to your band, cool. which was not only just a nice affirmation of like cool man and chris and i kind of vibe on the same stuff you know we're we love all that i guess uh trendy not trendy the opposite of trendy rock from the early 2000s but um and that's kind of our goal with this band that i'm in is bark market meets dave weckl so um so anyway so he said yeah you know and then what i love about it is it jump-started the fact that it was like well i don't have any tracks to play to meaning that now my band has to go in the studio oh yeah so then i started making calls around town and you know i was looking for the right studio that had the right look because i think any studio any good quality studio can record a three-piece fusion trio it's not that hard um we're not dealing with a, a symphony but i needed it to look right because i was planning on filming the whole process now if you know if i can film all this stuff in a nashville studio um now i just need to find a studio that sounds good so it opened up uh, all great. of my favorite studios in sacramento where it's like ah i wouldn't really want to film there but they they have you know they've got a neve console i would love to track there right so yeah. anyway so yeah so booked some studio time uh so we're going in in july uh and uh 
get uh, three songs done, and then I'll head off to Nashville and film them with Minel, and I think that'll be really fun. Sweet. That's really cool. Yeah, so good stuff, man. Good stuff. What, is someone dying? <laughs> it's the office uh, puppy running around. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you guys have a puppy? Yeah, yeah. No, Bob, our advertising director, brings his puppy in every once in a while. Yeah, because, by the way, uh, just for whoever doesn't like us talking about our dogs, puppy talk is not dog talk. Puppy t- <laughs> talk is always valid. <laughs> Especially when she's running around like, I don't know what she's doing, choking on her own breath, I think. <laughs> <laughs> do we need to pause so we can take a look at her is she all right she's good uh, she's, she's waiting to eat lunch what's it's going on here. what's going on in your drum world drum world i mean it's summer season you know every weekend that's like festivals and different things which is nice this is cool it's a lot of fun but you know i don't get much rest but you know i'm not going to complain i'm still playing music every weekend sure yeah, Super that's cool. awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's dive right in because this thing is going to take a while for us to break down. It's definitely been something that I've found to be more complicated than I thought. And now that I've gotten into it, it's more beneficial than I thought. And that is using a metronome in different ways. So I think we all grow up knowing that we need to be able to play to a click. But for most of us, being able to play to a click means playing to the click on quarter notes or maybe eighth notes. And as long as you nail the one, you're good. And, and honestly, when you first start, I mean, Dave Grohl even talked about it in, uh, was it a uh, Sound City? Where he was like, man, they put on a click for Nirvana's Nevermind. And I, I didn't know what, I'd never heard a cowbell in my ear while I'm trying to play a song. Right, yeah. Um, so it's not the easiest thing to do. So once you can kind of play to the downbeats, I think you feel like, cool, I can play to a click if I ever need to. But then there's almost this next level of of timing and really nailing the notes in between every beat that can be really hard. So uh, you had sent me some links that Steve Fiddick had talked about in the past yep. about moving the click around. I think it's an old concept, but it's become, because we have so much social media and we have Benny's DVD, it's just kind of there in the front of everything right now. And then I know that Yost Nickel has been doing clinics on it, and he's he wrote a new article for you guys about it. Well, he's been, gosh, I don't know how many parts he did, but two, he's been the past year writing every month, and there were two of them in particular that okay. I think it, it was part 11 and part 12 of his series where it, he kind of just gave you different ways to hear the click like on different rhythms, but doesn't really give you the tools of how to get there, which I See, think is what we're trying to fill in that gap. Like, how do you get from a quarter note click to now hearing it on the offbeat or hearing it as quarter note triplets? Like, what do you what do you do to get to that point? That's the tough part, because I remember in Benny's first DVD, he discussed it, not as much as he does in his new DVD, but in the first DVD, uh, what was that called? The Language of Drumming. Yeah. He's got his, uh, his boss... Dr. Beat or whatever, or Tom a Rhythm Watch, whatever one he has with him. And he starts singing and he's humming this rhythm and then he just hums the rhythm in different places against the pulse. And he's like, so you should just do that. And I'm like, uh, bro, I can't. That's yeah. the problem is I don't know how to make that mental jump. So what was fun was in this, because I knew this episode was coming up in my last camp that I just had, which was an advanced drum camp. I said, all right, guys, here we go. I'm going to put the metronome on through the PA. Raise your hand when you can feel that on the e and it didn't go so well for the camp and and then we so so then we had to figure out ways to make this work do you say do you start saying e on the click and try to make it e and a one e and a two and (laughs) then but what happens is then your body still pulses on the e so really you're feeling it as a downbeat you're just saying the the letter e yeah so let's start with the easiest one moving the click to the end how do you do that 
Oh, wow. That one, I think, is just the easiest way for me is to do just that. Just whenever the click, I hear the click, just say the, the word and. <laughs> and one, and two. I mean, that's just the way that the okay, and is so, the easiest one. So I'm always counting the eighth notes. Do you think you can do it for me by snapping your fingers and then making that become the and? And one, and two, and three, okay. and four. Okay, so you and say one. and on the snap, and then First the number I follows that. It. First okay. I accent it, so it'd be and one, and two, and three, and four, and one, two, two. three, four. And I just Then I just switch it. I gotcha. Okay, so I start nice. by emphasizing the and, and then I try to emphasize the downbeat while still saying the and. So and one, and two, and three, and four, and one, and two, and three, and four. And it sucks that I it. know that I can't snap with you because I know that our <laughs> Skype is off. So you'll hear clack, clack, and I'll hear it spot on. Okay, so I got you. So let me try that. And one, and two, and three, and four, and one, and two, three. Shaka doom. Yep. Okay. Uh, another way that one of our students had was that they say the numbers on the click and then say the number twice in a row. One, two, three, four, one, one, and two, and three, and oh, wow. four, and one. That would confuse two. me. <laughs> hey, well, that's, that was the whole thing was like, look, I don't care how you get there. You just got to get there. So let's, you know, there was nine of us. Let's figure out how we get there. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. So the ands weren't really a problem for me or for the students. It was the E's and the U's. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. just for a reference, I've got my metronome here. Let me give you guys at home a reference. Here's our pulse. So we've got this at 60 BPM. Now, naturally, you're going to feel that as one, two, three. But I need you to feel that as E. So how do you flip that to the E? So what do you do for that? The, what I did was I first put it the metronome so it clicked all the six and eighth notes. Okay. So all the subdivisions there. I think I think the challenge is to be able to hear the other subdivisions just as confidently as the one that's clicking. Okay. So I will have it first clicking sixteenth notes and the you know the accent will be on the E. And what I did to kind of flip my ear was I would play with the the sticking I would play with a natural sticking as if that was on the on the downbeat. What would it be? So I would play the click with the left. Okay, so, so we, then, that's so it's a alternating sticking, but it starts with the yes, left exactly, and then I just start counting it. E and one, e and cr- two. E. That's so crazy. We literally okay. So you and I have never discussed this, right? No, never. And I've only been working on this as far as trying to figure it out like a teacher because I've I've definitely done this as a kid, kind of, but I've never thought how do I deliver this information to someone else. And so for the past two weeks, I told you this is going to be my year of time. I'm going to obsess mm-hmm. over this. Um, and yeah, that's that's exactly what I did. I played alternating 16th notes, starting on the left, eventually started accenting the actual downbeat, which is the right that comes before the left. And that makes uh-huh. that left the E. Um, if you do the right right after the left, then that's the uh. That makes the click the uh. Excuse me. Right, right, and right. So, so I started doing that. And so I'll do it with the click. And you tell me if this is close to how you do it. So I'm starting with my left right now. Now, one thing that's really important is I don't move my body. Otherwise, I will feel this in the wrong place. So I have to be very yeah. still. Now I'm going to accent the right hand that comes before that click. Now I can start counting. One E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one, two, 
three, four, one, two. That's it. Oh, a little, little, <laughs> little late. Now, no, have you gotten to the okay. point where you just can hear it right away? Where, nope. Like after you did that, that and stopped, all of a sudden I kept hearing it on the E. Like it just. Oh stayed. yeah! As soon as I okay, so here's one thing I did for that. Let me uh, just to give a demo. I'll do it with the uh as well. So this is going to be the right hand right after the click. One E and two E and three E and four E and. Okay, so now I'm here. And then what I've been doing is taking one measure breaks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and then the other thing I've been doing is I've been jumping to the uh, like one E, uh, two E, uh, three E, uh, four E, uh, one E, uh, two. So I'll put kick on the uh with the right hand and then snare on the second uh and Mm-hmm. Uh, so I kind of jump to it as it is, like a beat displacement, and then I come back to the space. So for me, and, and but one thing I cannot do is I can't do this. Now without moving your body, make that the us. I can't do that. Uh, well, that'll just come. Yeah, so it'll come over time. Do you think you could do it by snapping? Could you snap your fingers and then make that the uh? It's funny because we were in perfect unison. I know we weren't. <laughs> we were not. <laughs> A one E and a two E and a three E and it's nice. easier for me if I turn a metronome on. I got one here. Like I hear triplets. A one, a two, a three, a four. Really? A triple, okay. Let triplet, triplet. Just immediately because that's literally what I do every day. First thing I turn this on, 120 BPM, and then play exercises. A one, a two, a three, a four. A one, a two, a three, a four, a one. See, I can't tell if it's easier because it's easier or if it's easier because you did the work for me once you said it it's like well i can't stop feeling it that way now yeah and and that's my biggest fear is that we tell our students you need to do this and they go home and they don't want to admit to us i can't do it and it's like (laughs) that's okay that's why i wanted to come up with a physical way to say here's how to do it put on the click start alternating 16th notes left-handed left hand lead and when you're ready accent the right hand either before the click or right after the click um, the one right after the click makes the click on the E, and the one before the click makes the click on the uh. Do that, and then you. And but the most important thing that I saw with the campers is don't move your body, because they they still all, what they end up doing is they go like um, so they think they got it and they go oh uh, one ah two ah three and I'm like yeah you're still on you're just saying the uh really loud but you're, yeah, you're just not feeling the counting yeah. exactly you're you're just accenting the uh with your voice uh, so it's not the easiest thing in the world now here's where I here's the part that I was fighting for a long time and why I wasn't pushing this on my students I didn't see the benefit mm. you can't see the benefit until you go through it yeah what I'm seeing is that I. We have to assume, all of us have to assume, that the E, putting the click on the E, is mathematically no different than putting it on the downbeat. It has just been shifted over by one note. So it's not actually more difficult. It's more unfamiliar, which is what makes it seem more difficult. Yeah, I can make minute adjustments to get myself back on the downbeat. The uh literally feels like I'm trying to do yoga poses on a waterbed. Like no, that's I'm, the opposite for me. The E is is still so okay, or, far or the, the E. Uh, I just meant yeah. the down the downbeat. I, oh, right. I've trained my whole life to do that, but the E's and the U's, I haven't trained for that. So I'm just kind of wobbling, and I'm like, wait, okay. So here's the deal. 
If it's the downbeat, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> Should I have had nine green teas? No. No, I love it because you're, you're in the exp- exploration mode. I love I, it. I am. It's, it's a fun place to be, man. So here's what I figured out. With the downbeats, if I'm wrong... I know whether I was wrong by rushing or dragging. With the E's yeah. or the U's, yeah. it's so unfamiliar. I don't. I just know that I'm off, but it I don't know flips. which way. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, wait, do I need to speed up? And then I speed up and I go way past. I'm like, no, I should have slowed down. And and yeah. so the downbeats, I know how to make those minute and tiny adjustments. And with the E's and the U's, I don't know how to do those yet. So yeah. it feels harder, but it's just really more unfamiliar. That's why I like to have it. It, probably for the first six months I had all the 16th notes playing I would just pull the volume down of all the other ones just so I would I could hear if I was flamming or if something was right. shifting I could at first I had no idea what the heck was happening but then right. eventually I could I think the what the value for me in doing this is it makes you really attuned to the subdivisions that you're not playing like sure because we can and it reminds me I think Jojo was talking about speed in that way like you can't play fast unless you can hear, you can hear fast. fast yeah and you can't play in quote. time unless you can hear in time and it's not the target practice of hitting the right downbeat it's can you hear all the other subdivisions that aren't there accurately yep so yeah. it's like a diff. it's like a it's almost like a different level of independence where you can play where you're accenting the E, but can you hear the and after the E just as strongly as the E that you're actually playing? And mm-hmm. can you hear when you're, you know, like when I'm doing the, uh, there's one one that I think I've finally got control of. It's triplet-based, and I'm playing 30-second notes. Uh, so it's a triplet, but I'm putting the 30-second notes on the second and third partial of the triplet. Okay. But I have the click on the third note of the triplet. So mm. that's the one that screws me up because there's there's four thirty second notes that are taking place while the click is hitting, right? And that was the one where like, what is happening? It keeps flipping. What am I doing yeah. wrong? And I wasn't hearing that third triplet accurately within yeah. the thirty second notes. So I had to yeah. go back down to like fifty BPM, mm-hmm. make sure there was no flams, make sure I could count it. Everything it was just the whole, just like a beginning drummer. Like, can you count it? Can you can you tap your yeah. foot? You know, everything. I mean, isn't that though? One thing that's really beautiful about this instrument is that after 30 years, we can find subjects where it's like, well, I, I truly am a beginner at this because I've never done it. So totally. it, the, yeah. the last 30 years of drumming doesn't really matter. Like, I, I haven't done this, so I, I can re-fall in love with the instrument. I mean, you can hear in my voice how excited I am to play to a freaking metronome app. <laughs> like, that's a cool feeling. You know, I don't want to always be chasing, like, some monster chop or some monster complicated pattern. It's like, man, I, I just can't even play quarter notes with this thing yeah. on the E. I can't even get my mind to flip this to the E. Or at least two weeks ago, honestly, I would have never dared in a podcast that we're recording for drummers to listen to, I'm going to try to flip the click to the E. With, <laughs> right. no, I w- we would have just talked about it. But two weeks later, after practicing, I was like, no, I feel comfortable. Dude, I was a little nervous, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was well, like, please I mean- go right. Please go right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's one of those things I think that it's um you know drumming is a lot like this where if you if you get frustrated early on you can very easily quit and say I can't do it. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to say I can't do it and I think drummers with great time were unwilling to say that they can't play accurately. Like it was just a certain point when they decided probably when they were really young they're like, no, I'm going to play with this drum machine and I'm not going to lose the beat. It's just never going to happen. It's not a, there's not a question of whether I can or cannot do it. It's just I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to invest you know, all of my energy into that. Because I, I mean, I've said before, I had some major time issues a few mm-hmm. years ago. And, and up until then, I was just too arrogant to acknowledge them and say, oh, whatever. It's, it's good enough. You know, no one right. else can hear it. 
But I said, the heck with that. I suck at this. I'm going to practice this every day. I'm going to go as slow as I absolutely need to until Mm -hmm. I'm not faking anything. That was the challenge. No more faking. No more flubbing. No more more lucking out. Like, well, I just happened to nail it that time. But you know inside, "Eh, I I could also not nail it the next time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the other thing is there's there's the arrogance, and I totally agree with that. And then there's also the feeling that, but there's so much more that I need to work on. And then we have yeah, to, at some point, exactly. realize none of it matters unless it's played in time. None yep. of it. Not your basic rock beat, not your quarter notes, and definitely not your big old chops. Yep. None of it matters unless it's played in time. And and so I agree. Now, as a teacher, I don't get to, I don't have the luxury to be that old dude telling my students nothing matters unless you play in time it's like that's the quickest way to ruin our industry (laughs) everyone quits so i have to find the right time it's not fun i have to find the right time to be like damn you seem pretty serious let's clean this up and and let me just put it in there just keep going uh so (laughs) you have to cut that out (laughs) i wasn't gonna react but you had to say something okay so anyways um Uh, Hack to Anyways, mine will send me a new cowbell. (laughs) That might be the worst one. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Oh, oh God. All right, this this break was brought to you by (laughs) Dream Symbols. Okay, Uh, pull it together, Johnston. Uh, so anyways, <laughs> it's it's up to me as a teacher to find the right time to show that to the students. <laughs> okay, here we go. In three. <laughs> I actually have a listener question that's going to be perfect for this awesome. right now. Awesome. <clears throat> okay. So anyways, uh, I think it's important to know when it's time to practice that stuff and when you can only handle so much of it but i am having a blast with it and being able to put the click on the e's the uhs the ands and even i remember uh in germany and this might have been part of one of yost's articles but yost was doing it um not just as triplets but as uh dotted eighth notes yeah so exactly yeah he did all that yeah things like that feeling i did want to oh go ahead sorry i was like i wanted to share steve's one of steve's exercises which i think it'd be good a good practice to to force yourself to start to hear it it's um, okay because if if you can play 16th notes in time the click is going to move on its own and eventually you're going to have to hear it so what he what he proposes you do is you play a basic 16th note groove you know 16th on the hi-hat four okay. on the floor on the kick drum two and four on the snare drum do that for three bars and then in the fourth bar, you you play a bar fifteen sixteen. So you drop out one of the Perfect. drop out the last hi hat note. So that'll automatically shift the shift. click to the E. And mm-hmm. if you can hold that together after three bars, you do the same thing. That shifts it to the and, and then it shifts it to the uh, and then it shifts it back to one. Mm-hmm. That's a great exercise just to kind of gauge where am I lacking, where does it fall apart.
Yeah, and to find out too, do you? Because we had that go on. We did a little bit of stuff like that in the camp. Do you, as this, as the drummer? do you shift it back to the downbeat? Can you not handle yeah. it there? Cause it kind of feels like it's fighting. And if you just lag a little bit, it'll shift back yeah. to, Oh, there we go. Yeah. And I told everybody <laughs> in camp, I said, trust me, if, if it feels too easy, it's cause you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You don't know, Usually. but you flipped it back to the downbeat. I think that's a great exercise. Um, so, <clears throat> all right guys, well get to work on that stuff. And I think that, uh, Mike, you and I could probably make 10 episodes out of how to use a metronome. We didn't talk about, yeah, gap clicks and subdivisions and and even going further like with yoast doing it as dotted eights and then shifting that to start on the e as dotted eights and shifting that to start on the and so yeah some really cool things can be done and we'll definitely keep revisiting this topic and i'm happy to share with you guys whatever i'm going through personally now it's time to talk about somebody that has some serious time control um and hey, before we get into that yeah. we have to talk about the contest we have, to, we have episode 100 coming up in two do weeks. Do you really so. want more emails? <laughs> Does LaShonda want more? She came, in, she came in the office on Monday, and she's like, why is everybody apologizing to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, LaShonda. And boink. You know what's funny about the word boink is it autocorrects to blink. So <laughs> sorry, we got a, probably about 500 blinks and 500 boinks. Now, did the blinks get in as well oh yeah everyone, it's not their fault that siri is like i refuse to say boink <laughs> anyway i wanted to make a special announcement dream symbols is going to give is going to add to the contest so no now way. we're going to have cool four uh winners and this and they're going to give the winner a a one symbol of their choice from anything the dream offers like any line any line any symbol any model whatever you want they will send mm. it out to you so now we have four packages to, to give away. That's Pretty awesome. awesome. And now we need a, a new word of the week, and I promise to let you choose it this time. It won't be anything <laughs> weird, so I'll let you choose it. But, all right, guys, well, let's talk about Death Cab for Cuties, Jason Mag- How do you say it? Jason McGurr? McGurr, yeah. I watched a bunch of videos of him actually saying his own name, and it's just, just so McGurr. Can- McGurr. Okay, it's not McGurr. It's not McGurr. It's McGurr. I, you know, I did the Federer with it. I was always calling it Jason McGurr. Uh, and, then I, and then I looked at the spelling. I'm like, I think it's just McGurr. Yeah, McGurr. Perfect. Well, serious, uh, man, humble cat for sure. But serious, um, what would you call it, uh, technician, I guess. I mean, it just seems like every note comes student, out of him. Serious yeah. student of the drums, for sure. For sure. And every note comes out of him with a beautiful flow and a beautiful touch. Even though his drumming... Uh, or his band maybe doesn't really call to this. There's something kind of Jim Keltner-esque when I see him play. Um, uh, yeah, I can see that. It, and I just mean it in in just a fact that like he just cares to play the right things. The roles are somewhere in between the most perfect symphonic buzz and a New Orleans slop roll. It's somewhere yeah. in between, but it's it's meant it's it's controlled. He's doing it on purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, because I, you would think when, when I first saw him play, I think my first time seeing him play, I mean, I, I've, you know, was a fan of all of the bands, um, that led up to Death Cab. So, uh, the first time I saw him play, I think it was on the Modern Drummer Festival where they brought out like one piece of gear at a time. He started yeah, with the right. snare and they built the kit. And I remember thinking, I'm looking at him going, this shouldn't have as much feel as it does. He's too perfect to have all this feel, yeah. but it still has the feel. Like, yeah. And, um, 
can't remember who else was on that festival. I don't think that was the one with Benny and, and Stanton, was it? No, uh, Glenn Coach, he was on okay. that. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, that was yeah. an artist one, man. Yeah, Thomas um, Lang and, and Louis Conti were on that one. And a Chops one. <laughs> Fireworks <laughs> and Chops. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I just remember seeing his technique and thinking, usually when guys look that flawless with their te- technique, I don't feel a lot. And mm-hmm. it was the opposite. I felt I, there was so much feel in what he was playing. But the other thing that I loved about it with him and Glenn playing with Thomas and um, whoever else was on that festival, you could just tell he wasn't intimidated like, oh, man, maybe I should change what I'm going to do. Maybe I should right, rip because yeah. the dude's got chops. He can blaze yeah. if he wants to. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it was just fantastic. Now, do you actually know Jason? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Okay. We, you know, got to know him a little bit at the festival and, and went to a couple shows. But, yeah, he... He came out at the festival when he was playing the big kit. He had the big 26-inch bass drum yep. with, with, I think it was uh, emperor heads on both sides. And so I was just geeking out over the sound, like, all right, that bass drum, how's he getting that sound? What do I need to do to get my bass drum to have that And that, that wasn't, like, the, the vintage thing hadn't come back yet at that time. That festival was a while ago. So Yeah, he was kind of the was first committed. guy I saw in person. Like, I could actually go see how he had the drums tuned. Like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do that. It's not, it's not some... You know, mysterious way. There's the drum. It sounds great. Let me see how the heads are tuned. <laughs> That's awesome. It was really he was cool. Playing that. for Ludwig back then. Yeah, he had a, a big old Ludwig kit, yeah. and he had giant beat cymbals at the time. Yep. Uh, so the all of that, I was just sucking it all up. Like, all right, I want to, I want to get this sound. And he also inspired me because the tracks that he played to, I believe, he wrote himself. Wow. So that was that was that was one of the sparks. Like, all right, I've got to start writing music or just That's writing really cool. sounds or something to play mm-hmm. to instead of using backing tracks that other people write or whatever just like that's what i if i'm going to do a clinic i want to have my own stuff to play to and it right. just shows that you know he's got a, a lot more artistry than you know just playing in a rock band although that that's band right. is really really creative i think some of their sure i mean their albums are great the lyrics are great the songs are great the drumming is always crafted in a, in a unique way Mm-hmm. Um, I think transatlanticism was like my soundtrack for probably a year and a half. I just really? listened to it nonstop. That's awesome. Uh, I was always picking up something new. I stole the um, the acrylite tuning trick from him, where you detune two lugs all the way, and it gets like a splatty Sh- sound. Yeah. That I stole from him. Seen him do it. I think he did that at Pasic. He showed that trick. Yeah, he's a great drummer, and I think you're right. The Keltner thing is is I never thought of, but it's. It's similar to where it's like his, he's getting more sound than you're seeing him play. Like, what are yeah. you doing? What's the it's, magic trick? It's not quite Matt Chamberlain where it's full percussion and, and chaos and still beautiful. But it, like I said, it's not, I don't know, it's not this marching guy trying to play drum set. It's, yeah. it's a really beautiful touch that he has. Uh, and, you know, I was my band and my touring band was part of everything that like i said that led up to death cab you know the postal service and all that stuff and we mm-hmm. toured with sensefield and uh, quicksand and all those bands that kind of made their way into what death cab was which was really one of the <clears throat> excuse me one of the few bands that made it out of that scene and kept going i think you know jimmy Eat world and death cab were like the two bands from that scene that eventually said like no, we're going to keep going. We're not quitting and we're going to have hits. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, for Death Cab, I, I got to say with Rosanna and Fool in the Rain, Grapevine Fires is the third shuffle on my list of tracks that I show to students mm. as like this is a famous shuffle. And I mean, obviously, time will tell, but I really think 20 years from now, it'll be um, 
that I think Grapevine Fires will live because it has that left foot in it. And that right, left foot yeah. is what separates it from Fool in the Rain and from uh, Rosanna and, you know, anything that Purdy ever did. And it's a really cool thing. And I love showing that to students. And, man, that song just would not be the same without that shuffle. Uh, it's it's killer. And I don't really see it as a shuffle as much as I do a, a triplet-based groove. Right. But yeah. I, I love that track. I love his sounds on that track. And that's usually how I introduce my students to Death Cab for Cutie. Um, now, Jason McGrew is now playing Gretsch. And uh, I was watching some of those videos you sent me of him at mysymbol.com. And he's talking about the broadcaster being the reason he went to Gretsch. And it's like, can you think of any kit? Yeah. You know, I mean, it fits Jason McGrew's <laughs> sound better than a, a Gretsch broadcaster. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly. So. And he switched over to Zildjian. He's playing the Avidus and the Krope lines mostly. So it's, he's going for that classic sound. Yeah, and, and it, it fits him perfectly. And I, the other thing that I really like about jason is he's a fantastic educator um Mm -hmm. you know i I, it's funny when when i was watching some of his videos today getting ready for this i just thought dude how have i never reached out to this cat and asked him for technique lessons um i mean Mm -hmm. i would love to study with him for a couple years and really clean up my hands i've honestly never been that guy that worked on just my hands but i would love to have a second opinion if somebody say hey this could be more efficient you know i remember right Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, the one thing that gives us the freedom to do that is Dave Weckl. When Weckl was at the top of his game and went to, <laughs> you know, who do you go to? Freddie Gruber? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, if he can do it, I'm more than happy to take lessons. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but I think he's he's a fantastic educator. He's got a great personality. He comes off as confident, which you want in a teacher and as a player, but without being cocky, which I think is awesome. So, um so guys, just so you know, just you could literally type in Jason McGrew, capital M, lowercase C, capital G, E R R to YouTube and you'll find a ton of stuff. You'll find his basic stuff, you'll find the Modern Drummer Festival stuff, you'll find a ton of stuff with Death Cab. But check him out because he's more than a band drummer. He's he's a legitimate professional drummer. Uh, huge yeah, fan. Great. <clears throat> Definitely great. Uh, so we need to talk about our show sponsor. We got Dream Symbols in for this week. Um, they uh Amongst many cool products, I wanted to make sure we talk about their stacker things, uh, which are designed by Libor Hadrava, who's been writing for us for a few months now. He's been doing all the uh, A Thousand Ways to Play One Idea articles, which we've kind of talked about a bit. But I have some audio of the stackers, which Libor designed. So I believe um, I believe there's a 10 and a 12-inch set. No, 10 and 14-inch set. So what it is is it comes with a pang and a splash, and they've set it up to where you can... They're perfectly sized, so you can flip them in, in various different ways. You can have the pang on top with the flange going up and the splash going down. There's a million different ways you can combine it, and surprisingly, they all sound very different. Uh, so we're going to just drop in a sample of um, a few of the different variations.
So that was the first one was with the pang inverted on top of the splash, which means that the flange was facing up on the pang and the splash was just in a normal position. And then the second clip, splash was inverted upside down and the pang was normal with the flange facing down. So there's any number of ways you can combine these things. They're super cool, so I definitely recommend everyone check them out. They're, they're cheap. They're a nice way to add some effects to your line. The Dream Libor Hadrava uh, stackers. Awesome. Libor is an awesome guy. Killer player, monster educator as well. Yeah. And, dude, that was uh, you, were, you were in your Aaron Sterling phase then. You had your, <laughs> your, your uh, what is that thing called, the Minol racket thing oh, from the, the, the the kessing yeah yeah that's it from the from jembe's uh, i had that you know, at that time i had I had a trigger pedal so the first half of it is me playing electronics and then i play the acoustic yeah i'm, I'm constantly just trying different stuff i'm, I'm bored drummer man i love it i love it <laughs> we, we can all relate to that for sure all right well let's get into some gear this is a really cool snare this thing uh you know, I won't give it away too much before we actually play the audio, but I, I can tell you right away I was really impressed with the tuning range on it, yeah. um, and and really impressed with the sensitivity. So this is the Doc Sweeney six and a half by fourteen tribal band oak snare, and uh, <clears throat> so give us the rundown, buddy. So yeah, they were actually reviewing some of their uh, steam bent kits in the upcoming issue. But he sent me the snare just to check out because it was the one at Nam. You know, when you go around to the booth at Nam, you hit everything. You're like, all right, that sounds good. But there's always one or two things you hit, and you're like, all right, what is that? What did right. I just play? And that was a drum. It was just like hiding in the back of the booth. I hit it. I'm like, all right, what's that drum? I got to check it out. It's actually a steam bent oak drum. Uh, so wow. it's you know it's it's not a ply drum. It's steam bent. It has a band of. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I don't remember the other wood, but the centerpiece is another piece of wood. Looks but it's like maybe largely, maple. I mean, it's a lighter wood. Yeah, it's largely an oak drum. Um, but it, when I think of oak, I think of kind of bright and loud. But this drum didn't really have, I mean, it had that. I could use it if I needed to do that. But they put a fiber skin head on it, which I think was the perfect choice for that drum. Mm. It kind of melted out and made it a little bit rounder, uh, darker sound. So it's a six snap by 14, and I think it has a diecast hoops on it yeah it looks um, like it's got the diecast hoops nice long tube lugs trick throw off yep exactly and it it really does i've used them on a few different gigs and it live it's it's been a great drum because it doesn't it doesn't ring on forever mm-hmm. and i can get really different sounds if i hit dead center with like the butt end of the stick it sounds like a sample and if i hit rim shots it has more crack to it i mean it's it's a pretty interesting sound Works great for the gig. I mean, it, the microphones loved it. Um, and like you said, it's really sensitive. I think the oak, the brightness, the hardness of the oak gives it some extra kind of high-end snap so you can tune it lower and it doesn't just become dead sounding. Yeah, I was really, like I said, really impressed with the the tuning range on that drum because um, in the samples that we'll hear, you actually started high, which is not where I would expect that drum to live. But I thought like, right. oh, this, this isn't for... Um, I guess demo sake, it's like that sounds amazing. That's a high tuned drum, and and it's not cranked, cranked, but it it responded a lot more. When I read steam bent oak, I had something in my head, especially fourteen by six and a half steam bent oak. Yeah. And then you played it at like a nice medium to high tuning, and I was like, this sounds incredible. Um, so they're out of San Diego. Yeah, yeah. Wow, sure are. they're making some. I mean, there's there's not a lot of uh, companies making steam bent kits and and they've kind of got it dialed in so i would recommend everyone check them out Man, they make some gorgeous i'm on their site right now and they make some seriously gorgeous drums 
We've yeah. reviewed their stuff before, right? Yeah, a couple of their other snare drums, yeah. uh, maybe last year. But this this was one that I, I'm checking out. I'm actually not scheduled to review it for the magazine. I was just checking it out. But we do have the, the kit coming up that's a Steam Bent kit nice. that we'll check out as well. But yeah, this drum in particular, I was like, all right, this is this is kind of got my vibe. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> well, let's give it a listen. Yeah, I mean, I I can't believe how good it sounds high and all the way through the tuning range. It never gets wonky on you yep. where you're like, okay, we just surpassed the tuning range of it. But the other thing is it's a 14 by 6.5 with a fiber skin. Why is it so sensitive? It shouldn't be that sensitive. <laughs> I, know. It, I mean, It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It's got to be the oak. It's a harder wood. That's cool, it's man. It's you some more response. Yeah, it's a really cool drum. So any check them out, idea, Doc Sweeney. Sorry, any idea where that lives price-wise? Their stuff is all, I mean, it's all what you'd expect for a steam bent drum. Okay. They're high end. Uh, sure. I, I don't know exactly what this one, but it's probably comparable to any other, like a Craviato or another sure. brand. It's that yeah. type of a drum. Very cool stuff, man. So, yeah, definitely check it out. What's their website? It's Doc Sweeney Drums, which is D O C S W E E N E Y Drums. Doc Sweeney. Yep. Definitely check them out. They've got some, they're doing some really cool stuff. Awesome. Uh, I want to make sure awesome. that's the right address. It is. Yeah. Yep. It's DocSweeneyDrums.com. Everyone check it out. And uh, like Mike said, I mean, when you when you just click on their homepage, you'll see like, oh, this dude goes in and makes <laughs> yeah. a lot of really beautiful drums. So, and yeah, I had no idea they were so close in in, uh, in California. So, all right. Good well, let's get in. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I'll say go ahead and order one. You need a kit. <laughs> Man, trust me. Uh, all right, it's time to get into your guys' listener questions. So what do we have today, sir? All right, so we're going through some ones that have been here in the queue because they're, they're not really questions, but they're kind of topics. But I wanted to get through all these old ones so we can have some fresh stuff once we get past 100. Okay. Um, so you can keep the questions coming in mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. This one is the one that's appropriate for our uh, slight detour <laughs> earlier in the episode. Um, it says... This is from Steve. says, some of my favorite moments on the podcast are when things go off the rails, often in the form of hilarious double entendres, which we had to edit one out in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do things ever go sideways that they don't make it onto the podcast? And he would love to hear some behind-the-scenes stories about the making of the podcast. I would also love to hear a blooper reel. So prior to us starting this episode, I was going to answer this question like, we don't really have much. It's kind of what you hear is what you get. Occasionally. Occasionally, I just have to edit out just space when we, you know, we're just thinking for like five or six seconds. I got to cut right. that out. There really isn't bloopers until today. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? Honestly, even today, it's it's just the images it could conjure up that we're trying to protect you from. We're trying to save yeah. you from yourselves. So um, I will say this: I didn't know what it was going to be like to work with Modern Drummer. I mean, I'm 
still not a, I'm not an employee of Modern Drummer, so I kind of have all the freedom in the world to say whatever I want, and that's what I wanted for this podcast. And I've actually been really happy with what you have left in because I'm not always going to be the most I don't know positive person about something where if I if I feel like it's just not great, I, I have no problem calling it out. I've been clearly vocal about people's websites. Yeah, because right. I'm like, come on, man. This is like, how? <laughs> Just go to Squarespace and make a template. But and you always leave that stuff in, which I know is probably not the easiest thing to do. As far as uh, bloopers, I think the bloopers are the things we always leave in. Because yeah, in general, there's there's been a few that have just been a little too far. Like sure. earlier in this episode, unfortunately, no one's ever going to hear it. It just went too far. I don't want to. We didn't mean for it to. We didn't mean for it to. It just, yeah, it's. I say something that I think is completely drum related, and then all of a sudden our brains, we like literally Mike and I on Skype will go, and we look at each other and go, ah, oh, dang it, here it comes. And then we just start laughing like little kids. It's just so hard. I mean, you're talking about drums, there's so many double entendres in just what we do. Dude, the first thing you learn as a kid is strokes. That's terrible. It's over right there. Next question. This one is coming from Paul. Um, He's saying, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, dude, he says, I've developed constant pain in my left leg and maybe you guys can help me out. I'm 55 years old and after many years of playing uh, about four to five hours a month on an electronic kit, Mm. he refurbished his old acoustic kit and started practicing about the same amount of time, four to five hours and putting in three hours of rehearsal in a Tower Power type band. Almost immediately, I began suffering sharp pain down the back of my hi-hat leg after playing. Mm. Uh, He's tried to make ergonomic adjustments, but he's suspecting that the root cause is my tendency to lean into the hi-hat pedal when playing hard. Is this a common complaint with older drummers? It's a a great question. I I don't know if it's a common complaint with older drummers, younger drummers, but I, I do think that you always have to pay attention to your body, and we are all different. So it doesn't matter whether it's a common complaint or not. You're having this pain. And you're going to have to adjust your technique to compensate for that. So it might mean that you become a heel-down hi-hat player, and you don't Mm -hmm. have that pressure there. And it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve, but you'll get it. It's not like learning how to play left-hand lead. You know, it's 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 heel-down left foot. I think that you'd be fine with that, and that would take that pressure off of you. I would also try to isolate where is the pain coming from. You're saying left leg, but does that mean it's coming from your left hip flexor? Is it in your knee? Is it in your ankle? try to isolate that as well and really think about what it what could be causing that uh, and neither mike nor myself are doctors no so we can't really address it but uh we had a similar question from israel almost exact same thing about having a pain in his achilles heel on his left foot oh wow i think and i think part of it like i i'm realizing this now that i'm starting to teach adult students you know when you start at least for me, I started playing drums very young. All that burning and weird stuff happens at such an early age. Like your, she gets shin splints and yeah. tendon night. All that stuff happens so early that your body kind of adapts to it. And I think maybe as you're an adult trying to learn these these tiny little muscle movements and stuff. I mean, the drummer's shin muscle is just freaky. We all have it. It's like this weird bulbul bulbulous looking muscle on our shin <laughs> yeah but so it takes years to develop that so if you don't have that and all of a sudden you're playing with a band that's really loud you're going to get shin splints and all that stuff so agreed i think you probably just have to be really careful um you know and, and do other like i don't i don't do, take a lot of ibuprofen and stuff because my body's just kind of used to these crazy motions that we do but yeah like like said just pay attention to your body and don't 
don't push down so hard on the hi-hat. That's probably something. You're probably constantly clenching those muscles. So right. try to find some time in, in the song or in the in the set to relax that leg. Also, I would say out. the other thing is think about the gear itself. Sometimes what you're going for. He said he was doing like a Tower Power type thing, right? Yeah, well, he went from playing only on an E-kit, which in, in back of my mind, he's okay. You never really developed the muscle strength to play acoustic drums. Right. And then he shifted over to the acoustic drums, and then he started playing with a band. And what I'm thinking is, you know, if you're going for that tight, real, um, precise, funky sound, and you've got some some squishy, thin 15s, you're going to have to yeah. push so hard down. But if you had some thick 13-inch new beats, you'd barely even have to touch them together, and they'd sound like, you know, tight cymbals. So could also be a little bit of a gear thing, could be a hi-hat stand thing. I can tell you this, the DW9000 series hi-hat stand, which I personally don't use, I don't use it because if you barely push down, it puts so much pressure on the hi-hats. That might be a great stand for you because you could keep it extremely tight with very little pressure. That's a good suggestion. If you're using an old, thinner, single-brace stand, you're going to have to push too hard. Mm -hmm. That's a good, very good suggestion. All right, next one comes from Jason. Um, He says he picked up a mint-condition Elvin Jones custom snare drum from Yamaha. What? Um, He says they know, I know that they've been discontinued. Uh, can't find much info on it, so have we reviewed this drum? Or uh, would love to hear our thoughts. He says, "I don't think it's replacing my '68 Superphonic, but it sure is nice." And I don't have any experience with the drum, but I just wanted to point out that I do believe Yamaha discontinued all of their signature drums. It wasn't just the Elvin Jones drum. Right. I think they just got rid of all of them in general. Yep. But there's some there's some gems in there. The Anton <laughs> Fig drum is really special. You can find that one. Man, the Manukache was my main snare forever. Uh, yeah, is that a oh. chrome over brass or something? 14 or by 5.5 chrome over brass. Or, I'm sorry, no, uh, black nickel over brass. It was like yeah. Yamaha's Black Beauty. Right. I love that drum. So the, the Elvin Jones one is the 14 by 7 gold sparkle one with the wood hoops. Oh, yeah, that's right. Cool Man, that's a, that's a beautiful drum. I would um, hang on to it. It's probably going to be worth something if it's not already. Well, it's uh, currently worth about $1,200. So, yeah, Oof, I would hang on to it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I would hang on to it no matter what. It's not going down. Um, but, yeah, that's a great drum. Okay, let's see if we can get through a couple more here. Um, let's see. This one's from David. So he was listening to episode 83, and we were talking about being consistent when you hit the snare drum. So he's mm. that, that calls him to investigate it further. Um, so it would be nice if we could discuss the matter a bit further, maybe also use some famous drummers as examples. Like, Bill, for instance, Bill Bruford uh, usually hits really high uh, up from center, which gives him that sound that Bill Bruford's known for. Manu Caché hits lower from center, which gives him his sound. Uh, Charlie Watts hits off off to the right mm-hmm. which is interesting and then J.R. Robinson is off to the other side and I and there's actually a video of uh, Chad Sexton that I, one of our listeners sent it to me because we were talking about his snare drum sound how we were yeah. cranking the drum to try to get there's actually a video of Chad showing how he hits the snare drum with 311 and he really? hits it more like a timbale player like pulls back the stick ah, closer to him that makes so it's sense not, the drum isn't tuned super high but the way he plays it makes it sound like it's super high I could totally say that. You know, I think even when I'm hearing that, though, it's not where you hit it. It's that pick one and always hit it there so that you have a consistent right, sound. Yeah. I don't yeah. really mind where you hit it. I, I think the sweet spot is the sound that gives you the sound you want. Um, because yeah. I think probably myself, you, and Steve Jordan would all disagree on the sweet spot of his snare until he hit it. And we'd be like, you're right. That is the sweet <laughs> spot. Right? <laughs> but it's true. like, but that's not where I would have ever thought to hit it. So yeah. really what we're looking for as fans of music is consistency 
hit it wherever you want, you know, and find that sound. And I think that sweet spot is also based on the drum itself. Every drum has yeah, a the tuning. just like a golf club, you know. Yeah. Uh, where do true. you hit your drum? Well, I was thinking about that as, as I was reading the question. I think one of the main reasons I switch from match to traditional grip is because it forces my stick to hit the drum in a different spot. Okay. So subconsciously, I know if I want more ring, I go to traditional grip because it automatically pulls the stick off to the left a little bit. Mm. And then when I'm playing matched, I usually aim slightly ahead of north of center so I get a fuller sound. Uh, so it's, wow. I'm okay. always switching the grip just for the sound. And it's now I'm thinking it's probably because the stick is actually hitting the drum in a different spot when I play yeah. that way. I mean, I would say my normal, my sweet spot on most of my snare drums is about an inch and a half left of center. So okay. one inch and a half closer to the hi-hat than center. Center is just a little choked, right? And then mm. it opens up about an inch and a half off. Um, the the one thing I will mention, this is for all young drummers, young meaning how long you've played, please stop moving your stick closer to the rim for your ghost notes, but still playing the exact same velocity. <laughs> Play the drum where you are playing it. Just make the stick that. quieter. Really? Oh, my God. I always see guys go, do Cat to ping ping to cat to cat ping ping to cat. I'm like, what are you doing? Those aren't ghost notes. You're just moving to the quietest part of the drum. Oh, that's funny. So, yeah, that's I, like working. I think you're working harder when you try to find that kind of a runaround. Totally, just play the drum. Just play the drum quieter. <laughs> I know. Um, and it, you know what? The thing is, is people refuse to slow down. If you slow down, you'll have enough time to think. This one's quiet. This one's quiet. This one's loud. Um, yeah. if, you're, if you just never slow down, you don't have the time to think. But if you go boom, crack, quiet, quiet, crack, you can do it. You just have to. I don't know why people are so scared to get into that 40 BPM range. Because it reveals so many problems. I know, I know. Okay, <laughs> I do know why. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. You know, I, I just filmed a course just to kind of finish up this thought. I just filmed a course uh, that will probably be available in the next week or so. But about um, drum set warm-ups. And the whole po- point of it is and this would be great for you, acquainting yourself with your drum set again after playing a different drum set. So mm-hmm. not playing fast, not ripping all over the kit, but these very specific exercises that take you from snare to rack to floor, back and forth, and you're actually trying to hit the rims. You know, you're, you're waiting for that moment where it's like, oh, I hit the rim. This tom is a little higher than the one I was playing at work yesterday or the one I yeah. reviewed the day before. So, And what I found out while doing this, the goal was like, well, we'll push it to 160. It was like... No, the 50 BPM is way more beneficial than the 160 BPM because uh-huh. you can slow down and just kind of almost Tai Chi your way through each motion. And the whole point is I a lot of times land in foreign countries and they just take me to a drum set and it'll never be my drum set. Right, right. Um, even coming from home to here at home, I have an 18 inch bop kit that I practice on for a few hours and then I come here and I have my 20 inch or I'm on my 22 in the back and they are different. So anyways, it's it's important to kind of find those spots on the drums and reacquaint yeah. yourself with the instrument all right that happened have, to me oh, uh, i went from my i had my big fives kit which has a 26 inch bass drum and a 14 inch rack tom and an 18 inch floor tom oh, i had that geez. set up for a couple weeks and it felt like really comfortable like that that size actually feels really natural for my my physical makeup or for whatever reason your body but but the uh the 14 inch rack tom has to be a little bit higher than than it would be if it was a 12 or something uh, so then when I went back yeah. to my normal 22, it was like, whoa, this, I can get this thing really low. <laughs> yeah. It Playing took me a minute to be, and it's kind of where I have always had my drum set up, but it just felt really far. And it took me a couple minutes to figure out, all right, I've got to go an extra three inches down to reach yep. that rack tom. 
Yeah, I mean, so so I that's why because I go through it so much myself. I filmed this. Uh, it's six lessons of nice. different exercises, and the other part of it is the pedal. It's like getting used to the spring tension from going from one pedal to the next. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of adult drummers that have a busy life, and maybe they only get to their kit once every four or five days and it's like okay just do these exercises right when you sit down it'll acquaint you with the drum set you don't have to do them fast and then you can do whatever the heck you want but you'll have everything your body will know where everything exists dig it cool cool all right that's it for the questions we still have another stack to get through but all keep right them coming in indie md info at modern drummer.com what should be the uh word of the week i think we're about ready huh it's on you buddy all right, let's go. Let's go with the picks of the week first. You first. Okay, so my pick of the week is an audio pick. Uh, by the way, I, I found myself now ordering products just so that I can have picks of the week. I'm like, oh, I'll just buy that <laughs> so I have something to talk about at the end of the show. <laughs> so uh, I have stuff coming. Uh, thank you, Amazon. My pick of the week is a CD. came out in 2016, and it's by one of my favorite drummers, Mr. Benny Greb. And this is Moving Parts Live. So um, if you guys don't have uh, the album that came out in 2014, Moving Parts, it's a fantastic album. That's Benny's band. He's in the studio now working on some new stuff. But Moving Parts Live gives you a chance to hear those songs explored in more detail. They go deeper into them. And I don't know, anytime I hear something that's really incredible, like the first Moving Parts album, there's that wondering, like, yeah, but could you really... How many takes was that? Uh, Yeah, right. When it's live, it's live. And Benny Benny is one of those drummers that elevates himself live. And uh, so, yeah, check out Moving Parts Live. uh, 12 tracks. Most of the stuff from... Moving parts is on there, plus a couple extra tracks, so three extra tracks, and it's just it's really cool. Definitely check it out. So are they they kind of letting loose the reins a little bit in the live versions? Yeah, I mean it's nothing silly. It's still in that realm, but it like okay, let's just assume um, on the song September, Benny's playing a very very mellow groove, but because it's live, it's like. I mean, you just hear the breath in the drum set. You know how he's always using his fingers to tap on the snare. You hear every single one of those more clear. Um, There's less consistency in a good way. Like he's constantly just exploring the environment that he's in. So, yeah, I I can tell you the album is fantastic, but the live album, the new one, um, it's just, I don't know, it's it's a different experience for sure. You're not buying the same album twice. Cool. My pick is a piece of workout gear. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a gym rat, but this this thing, the Iron Gym workout bar. Uh, I, I hate going to gyms, but I'll work out at home every day. It doesn't bother me. But this thing has been really cool. So it's I'm sure most people already have it or have seen it. But it goes around the door, and you can do pull ups with it. You don't need to mm-hmm. install anything into your door. So you can I actually travel. I don't travel on a plane with it, but if I'm going to wear in a car overnight, I just throw it in the Take trunk. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's. It's been cool. I've learned in the past year that I've been using this and doing the TRX more and the kettlebell stuff more that I used to be afraid that being stronger would make me a slower, more sluggish drummer. I really had that theory. I think there was a right. kid when I was playing basketball when we were like fifth grade. He's like, don't lift weights too much. It'll make you slow. And for whatever and it reason, stuck. it just stuck. Uh-huh. But I got to say, the stronger I get, actually, the more confident and comfortable I feel on the drum set. I really do. It's like I can play yeah. louder and and not feel like I'm having to hit the drums as hard. I can play longer and just be more comfortable and less focused on the physicality of the drums. 
So I'm not one to push exercising on people who don't want to exercise, but if you can, you know, do a few pull-ups and push-ups every day, it's going to it's going to make you a better drummer, I think. Yeah. Pull-ups are great too because there's a good chance that a lot of guys could maybe only do one with perfect form or two. So unlike some other exercises like say crunches where you're like, yeah, I did 62 and then you can't remember the next day how many you did with pull-ups, you know, you did yeah. two, bro, <laughs> <Right>. two. <laughs> so when you do three, it's a huge day. And then I, I remember when I started the first P90X, that's part of it. You have to have the iron gym pull-up bar, oh, okay. or, you know, and so, and there, and there's a lot of pull-ups in it and probably the first workout that they have you do has maybe 10 sets of different kinds of pull-ups. So chin-ups, mm, reverse grip, God. thumbs together, uh, wide grip. So I remember when I did the first set and I did two, I was like, wait, I have nine more sets? Like, what do I do? Just a half of one? Do I just like pull really hard and stay completely still? And, uh, and, and Tony Horton was like, I know you can only do one or two, but trust me, you will be doing 20 someday. And sure enough, I mean, it's, it's a tough exercise, but you know, um, you eventually get it. So I think that's a great thing. And the other thing is I'm assuming yours kind of has the bent pieces where you can also take it off of there, put it on the ground and it's a good push up bar as well. That's that's exactly what I do every morning. I do, I do a couple sets of pull-ups, a couple sets of push-ups, a couple sets of squats. And I feel like I've got my, got my, got my workout in. (laughs) (laughs) Wife walks in. She's like, could you just stop? Stop. (laughs) No, I, I agree. I think the only time that it gets in the way, the muscle thing gets in the way, is is in extreme cases. Once you're into bodybuilder land, maybe. But we have a student uh, that's a – I don't know if he's a professional bodybuilder, but he's definitely a bodybuilder um, named Corey Butler uh, for Mike's Lessons. And he's he's extremely fluid on the kit. So I think it comes down to do you only build muscle or are you also stretching and uh, yeah. doing some sort of uh, – you know yoga or other things but that's awesome man well uh i think you can get that the iron gym one i know you can get it at like sports authority and yeah Target it's like a 20 dollar like thing yep. it's no big deal yeah highly recommended um, you can get it on amazon as well awesome all right buddy well i'm gonna teach a live lesson today is <gasps> today the word is time time the word Beautiful. of the week is time so email that over to md info you don't have to apologize to lashonda this week she's expecting it <laughs> so she's, keep them coming she's all good with time <laughs> It's like that's way better than what was our last one? Boink, yeah, and doggies boink and doggies, yeah, doggies, I, boink, and I time. cringe every time I I got one right now forwarded to me. Forward, <laughs> boink. <laughs> I just, I mean, it's like it's so telling of our two personalities. Doggies, boink, and time. Which one do you think Dawson is? <laughs> that's all right, man. If we keep doing this podcast long enough, I will become a mature adult. I have no doubt. Eventually, I'll be well, like, our, our word of the week is syncopation. You're not going to convert me to green tea. I had a cup of that today, and it made me nauseous, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Your body's like, what is this? God, go get a Mountain Dew. Give me some black coffee. None of this go, stuff. Yeah. You're, you're a man, Mr. Dawson. <laughs> well, I'm going to go drink more green tea and get ready for this live lesson. Have an amazing day, and right, I will talk to you, to you next week. week.